Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red. I'm joined with Nizar Hassan as always. Nizar, we finally had the elections. All done, right? All done. Uh, so this is a special, a special episode. We're coming a little bit late uh, to you guys this week. Uh, we usually drop on Mondays, but as, as of Monday, we didn't even know the results, right? We, we didn't learn the results. The, the election happened on Sunday, and then the results weren't uh, released. The official results weren't released until 8 p.m. or 8.30 p.m. Uh, Monday evening. Uh, and so finally, we, we all have other jobs to do, but we're, we're finally getting around to all meeting up and, uh, and doing this podcast. And we're going to go through the results today. Um, but Nizar, what is the big picture? What uh, just to give our viewers a taste, and then we'll get into the details. So we can say the big picture is uh, no big surprises. Um, Lebanese forces did very well. The, f- the Free Patriotic Movement did very well. Hariri's future movement did quite bad, expectedly though. No surprises, but this is the situation. Hezbollah did well, and Amal Movement did well. We'll go over the numbers soon, but this is kind of the big picture, yeah. And Jumblat as well. Jumblat did very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he, he lost maybe you know a couple of seats, maybe uh, exactly. depending yeah. on how you count it, right? Uh, exactly. And the independents didn't do well, and Ben was <laughs> right about it. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we only won one seat. Well, well you're appealing that though, right? So maybe two. Inshallah, yes, right? I hope so. Let Let's run through each of these really quickly. Um, so the future movement, Saad Hariri's movement, the main Sunni party in the country. Uh, they went. They they had won like thirty four seats in the last elections or something, and so they went down to. It looks like they're going to have twenty or maybe even nineteen seats this time around. They're still the predominant Sunni party. Like nobody can challenge Saad Hariri on a national scale, but uh, for for Sunni leadership. But he's definitely a lot weaker than he was. He but is. we we knew that. We knew that was going to happen. But I think maybe he's a little bit weaker than most of the experts thought he was. Uh, like the numbers are a little bit lower. Yeah, than... slightly lower, like two MPs lower. Yeah. But what Hariri said is, if we have a majoritarian law election now, I will have the same number I had before. But mm. the issue is, with, pro- with proportional law, I will have less MPs. I don't know if I if I totally buy that, but uh, that w- once we we don't have the numbers yet. I think we should point out the the Interior Ministry has bizarrely not released numbers yet. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday evening. So once we have the numbers, then we'll be able to actually go through and judge whether Hariri is correct on that account or not, or or, or try to come to an idea of whether that was the case or not. Exactly. Um, Lebanese forces, uh, also on the March 14th side of things, they went from the, uh, eight to, it looks like they're going to have 15 people in their block. Amazing uh, results. Yeah, yeah. Like, seriously, this is organization, 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 organization matters in, uh, in elections. Um, Kata'ib, it's it's really Beit Shemail, uh, seriously. Yeah, Nadim, Sami, and, and one uh, more person. And Hankash. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so, three so MPs for from, from five down to three. Tayyar Marada, uh, they stayed the same at three so um Frangie, that's Frangia's movement up in the north uh, same old for them the fpm though uh if, if you count fpm and tashnak uh, which is probably the the largest armenian party together like they went from having something like 22 21 seats uh in the last parliament up to 29 maybe 
So big win, right? And this is a big win. This is under Gibran Basile, right? Mm -hmm. The the first election uh, under Gibran Basile, not Michelle Aoun, as the leader of the FPM, and they appear on paper to have won big. I think that there's a lot within this block that makes it sort of unwieldy. Okay, so you've got the Tashnak. This counts uh, Erslin. This counts, um, I think, Michelle Mouawad. It counts people like Namat Frim, uh, mm-hmm. who, who you know you you have to wonder well is is he really FPM uh, he's he's not FPM mm-hmm. uh, how uh, politically beholden is he going to be to the the tire block um, overall they still have done very well even if we discount these people they still have done very well with over twenty five committed MPs yeah absolutely right now going into like cabinet uh, negotiations for cabinet formation quite strong yeah yeah. PSP from about 11 to 9, depending on, basically about the same. Maybe they lost a About couple. the same, but they did super well compared to what people had expected because mm. this law specifically, when it was um, adopted, the statement was that Hariri and Jumblat will be the big losers and that Jumblat will probably lose half of his seats. The fact that they only lost two is still very, very good. For and them. I... Uh, I think it's important to note here, like, this is under, at least in name, it is under Temur Jumblat now instead of under Walid Jumblat. Same with Marada, it's under Tony Frangier instead of Suleiman Frangier. So we have this passing of the baton to the sons, and both parties have done, like, basically as well as under their fathers. Even though you, you, you have to question, well, Walid is still calling the shots, right? Temur isn't really calling the shots at the PSP yet, but he will be. And it looks good for him to be leading the block. Uh, and for them to win. Or, exactly, and for them, the most significant part is, we spoke before about sectarianism and how the electoral politics are so sectarian, and how you measure Jumblad's power is how many Drew seats he has in parliament. Right. Out of eight Drew seats, he has seven. And he didn't try for the uh, for the eight He left well. it open he left for Erslan. Yeah, right. So he, has all, he won everything that he wanted. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. That's a very strong statement. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> Getting into sort of like the, the the big winner of what everybody is saying, you got Amal, Hezbollah, and their allies. Amal went from 13 seats to, up to 15. Hezbollah stayed 13 uh, at 13 seats in their kitle, in their parliamentary bloc. But their allies seem to have gone from de- sort of depending on how you count it, uh, maybe something like six to 11, maybe six to 13. There's and this is uh, people like the. The Syrian Social Nationalist Party, the the Ba'ath Party, Ahbash, and then a number of independents, uh, people like Osama Saad in uh, in Sidon, who came into parliament, Ibrahim Azar, Jihad Samad up in the north. Are you counting Mikati? Because no, no, that's the next thing, though, right? So Mikati went from like being by himself in parliament to uh, having a block of four four MPs, MPs. and then actually, it's possible that Faisal Karami maybe joining that as well. So maybe mm-hmm. that uh, Mekati's block could even be larger than, than four. Uh, so it's a big win for Mekati, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's definitely going to be able to get uh, a minister, or if, if not a couple. Yep. We we did have one win, as we mentioned, for for, uh, for Kuldana Watani. Yep. Sab'a, the new political party, their uh, candidate Paula Yaobian won and Beirut won with uh, quite a lot of votes, actually. She won 3,000 preferential votes, like more than double the closest other candidate on the list. Oh, wow. She did wow. pretty well. 
And yeah. the list overall, like the the campaign overall, did pretty well. They were very very close to winning two seats. And uh, what most political parties, including this camp- the campaign Libaladi, said, is that they got the two seats, and then the results were changed after there was some kind of technical mistake with technical error with the software that the government is using using to count votes. Uh. So now they're appealing against it, and there was a protest yesterday for like four hours in front of the Interior Ministry protesting the results and asking for a recount. Yeah. They're yeah. pretty sure they won, actually. They're very certain about it. And they might have some a solid case for, like, in terms of evidence for an appeal. This is one of the things that we, like, we just don't know, it, it seems. Like, I, I haven't seen the evidence. I have no idea what's out there. I've, like, literally anybody could be right from my perspective because I have no, I, like, literally just no idea. Yeah, but it's worth mentioning here that the violations were really huge this time. Right. We're talking about 7,000 recorded violations, according to the Lebanese Association for Democratic Elections, and including many boxes, many ballot boxes that were lost coming from expatriate uh, votes, like with, from embassies abroad. Right. We're talking about more than 10 or 15 boxes. Right, didn't in you say industry. in Shouf In Shouf, there were eight boxes, apparently. In Jizin, there were 14 boxes. That is nice. So we're talking about really yeah. large number of votes being right. lost on the way. Mm. So serious violations, a lot of, um, and this is this is this is also like a number of votes potentially that could change outcomes as well because we're talking about with with the proportional system and like the the fraction the fractional seat that for instance is is up for grabs in Beirut one like that's uh, one of these things that could turn maybe on uh, you know a thousand votes hundred votes, you know, it, uh, something quite a bit smaller than, than the full hustle. And new MPs would be in parliament. Like Weamo Hub, for example, he needed 300 votes to be in parliament. Mm. 300 votes coming from these boxes would be enough for him to be to beat Marwan Ahmed, the very important Jumblat ally in the Druze community in Shouf. Right, right. Um, yeah, so so, uh, so this is a, a new thing, right? In, in the last parliament, there were zero. So now up to one for the civil society for Sabah. And then the the other movement was just others, other independents went from like 11 or 12 seats down to like five, maybe, depending on how you count it, three, maybe. So the, these people like uh, Boutros Harabs, uh, uh, people uh, like uh, Safadi up in Tripoli, they they left. These seats were just sort of like eaten up by the major parties. Exactly. All right. So what are the main takeaways that we got from this election, Nizar? I think the main takeaway is what you said earlier. Organization matters. Hezbollah and Lebanese forces did so well. And the PSP, by the way. No one is speaking about the PSP, but they did extremely well organizing. They mm. got huge turnout huge turnouts um, among their loyal supporters. And that's how they won 100,000 votes in Shufan Alay, uh, close to 100,000 votes. Organization is what gives you results in elections. Kata'ib lost miserably. Three MPs for a party that is one of the oldest, if not the oldest party in Lebanon. Right. With a huge political legacy. Three MPs is just insignificant now. It's less than Mikhati's MPs. Completely insignificant on the right, and and, and and that also proves the point because Makati was he had the best operation in Tripoli. Uh, he, he was very well organized. And the other thing, though, is that not only organization matters, money matters as well. Makati plowed a lot of money in. It seems uh, the Definitely. Lebanese forces were very organized, but they also uh, seemed to uh, be getting money from somewhere. Um, who else? Hezbollah and Amal as well. The fact that they are present in different districts where Shiite voters exist is um, was very clear. I think that 
the basic bottom line of these elections, the main takeaway um, is wherever there are Christians, there are Lebanese forces. Where are they, wherever there are Shiites, there are Hezbollah or Amal. Wherever there are Druze, there is PSP. This is how organized parties operate. Organized sectarian parties operate. And when they operate on the grounds, when they have four representatives in every ballot box, in every voting center, this is how they secure extremely good results. Everyone votes. Everyone that supports them votes. And then they don't care about the others because the others won't influence the elections if they are not brought by other machine, by other electoral groups to be to vote for the other parties. And, and in, a, in, in a system like the, the current electoral law, you if you're a political party, you need to do this like not just in the, oh, we're, we're Shiites, we're in the South and the Bekaa, so we're going to compete there. No, you need to like look at sort of micro communities and look at targeting that. I think the LF did a, a reasonably good job of doing that, you know, picking off a seat up in Akkar uh, for Wehbeh Katisha, for instance, uh, picking off another seat in Balbek Hermel, picking off, uh, uh, they were somewhere else. And the same thing, uh, Hezbollah tried to do this, for instance, in Jebel and Kesarwin, uh, in, in, in the Shiite seat in Jebel. Uh, they failed, which was a surprise to me. I, I thought that they were going to uh, win that seat. It was an internal issue. Like, people didn't like the vote, the candidate that Hezbollah brought. They right. were like, we had another candidate from the area. Why did you bring someone from elsewhere? I think that was the main issue. Hezbollah brought right. someone from another district just because they wanted him. Right. There, there, were, there were a number of interesting things. Uh, like, yeah. the, this one thing can be an entire case study, uh, you know, as a sheikh, uh, instead of, you know, like a doctor or, or something like that. It was, uh, there was the whole Kita Kesarwain issue that happened. Uh, talking about, like, the, the, the Hezbollah Elef win uh, in total, though, I think we need to explain a little bit about what what does that mean? Because we've seen a lot of headlines, especially in Western media outlets, that like Hezbollah controls Lebanon now, you know, like they've, they've taken control mm-hmm. of the country and, you know, the sky is falling and everything. So <laughs> when when, when we, we were saying that Hezbollah won it, earlier, you know, I read off the numbers that Kitle, the, the parliamentary block for Hezbollah, it stayed the same, right? 13 seats, 13 seats. Uh, so when, when we're saying that Hezbollah... Uh, was one of the winners here. We're talking about allies, people who will most likely vote with them uh, on on major issues, right? So, people Amal, that Hezbollah brought on their lists, and this is also very important. Right, right, right. So and Hezbollah so, has credit for bringing to parliament. Right, right. Which means that they must be like allies. This makes sense. Right. right. So, like people like Jamila Sayed, Abdurrahim mm-hmm. uh, Imrad, people of the SSNP, etc. Right, and so they they did really well, right? So the allies, I think we 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 counted them with not counting Nakati because he positions himself sort of in the middle. Like allies would go from something like six up to eleven seats, and so you have like if you're looking at the a pretty narrow view of Hezbollah and its allies, you're talking about something like you know thirty nine seats maybe, uh, and then if you 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 could probably add several more to that to get into the mid forties range. Yeah, but I think that another way to look at it that makes sense is to see how many MPs now are in parties or individuals that are opposed to Hezbollah. So anti-Hezbollah MPs and whether this number has changed or not. And I think this is the key issue here because Hezbollah now has much fewer opponents in parliament compared to the old parliament. If you calculate all the the, the MPs with anti-Hezbollah rhetoric or belonging to parties with anti-Hezbollah rhetoric, I think there will be less than 50 now which is out of 128, which is really comfortable for Hezbollah. Right, right, right. 
Uh, and so, like, certainly on an issue like Hezbollah's uh, weapons, uh, which is probably the most contentious issue in all of Lebanese politics. Exactly. Uh, on an issue like that, we now see resounding support in Parliament for, no, let the resistance do its thing. We're not going to uh, try to change that at this point. Exactly. Uh, which, I mean, it sort of makes sense because, like, like this is the reality on the ground. There isn't really much that anybody can do to force them to disarm under the current uh, strategic environment. Uh, I agree, but there was a certain balance in political institutions that was kind of lost with this election. Hezbollah was always a bit cautious about that. But now they have strong support in parliament, so they need they don't need to be as worried about it. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I, I definitely see that argument uh, that, that they have to be less worried about it, but it, I, I don't think that it's quite as cut and dry as black and white as it's made out, especially like in the, the Western press, we see just like these things like Hezbollah controls the country and everything. No, it, uh, Hezbollah does still like need to take into account what the Christian community thinks. And there's a lot of people who are in the FPM, in the FPM's block and in the, in the FPM's allies, uh, within their allies, within their kitle, that, you know, probably don't agree with Hezbollah, don't agree with Hezbollah having uh, weapons. And so I, I think that Hezbollah has to play a little bit more deft game than what a lot of people are uh, currently saying. I think time will say. Um, so I, I would say overall, though, things largely stay the same. You have, uh, you do have 79 new MPs, right? New faces. Uh, 15 of those are former MPs, though. But you have like, the same parties, the same system, the same political class, sort of like on steroids, because as we talked about, the number of independences actually shrank. Uh, so you have more people beholden to these, you know, that e either, uh, you know, systems like uh, the, the, the organization of the LF, the organization of Hezbollah, or to like the, 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 the Zouma, the, the great leaders, you know. So like we, it, nothing really changed fundamentally with this. We, there was this promise under the proportional representation system that there would be newcomers and new blood and uh, like the, the way that politics is practiced would be changed. And I didn't see that really at all. It was, it was just like, oh, well, the, the spoils are just being divided up a little bit differently this time amongst the major parties. And actually, uh, if, if you're an independent, it's, it's harder to be independent now. Yeah, but I think it's significant now that we have um, le fewer independent figures who are of feudal backgrounds in politics. And two examples are Skaf and Fatouche, tradition, two traditionally very strong families, feudal families. Uh, their candidates both lost. Even Fatouche, Fatouche's nephew was running against him, and he lost as well. They kind of took each other's votes, and they both, lo both lost. So now we have these two figures. And I think in other areas, I could make the claim that when... Independent feudal figures are not allied, are not on the list of the political parties, then they didn't have a high chance of winning. Like most of the uh, most of the politicians from feudal families were on that one were on the list of political parties like the Mam Islam, like Arslan, um, um, etc. Does that though? Does that actually introduce a change in the system though? No, but I think it's uh, as we mentioned in a previous episode, it's probably a transition, a divorce happening between the political class and the traditional feudal class. 
um, with the new allies being the new economic powers. Ah, like billionaires like Namath Frim coming in and taking a spot, you know, that maybe would have gone to Gilbert Zwayne, for instance. coming in and many others. Yeah, yeah. That's a much like slower process, it seems. We'll have to see if that continues or not. So my question for you is civil society failed. Why why did that happen? I think there are so many lessons to learn and it's only one day after the election, two days after the elections now. So there's maybe not as much to say as um, we would hope to have. But what I can say... You haven't done like a, a deep cut yet? Not like, yet. No, we no. haven't evaluated our, our, our like performance. But what I can say definitely is we have to get organized. We have to become political movements that are organized. Otherwise, we will never get votes. We have to have people on the ground in every ballot box watching the whole electoral scene mobilizing people, making it easier for people to feel safe to go and vote for us. The amount of Im- intimidation and pressure that people are subjected to um, in local villages when they go to f- to vote is incredible. So it's really a huge step to vote for independence and not for the political party that is that your village is affiliated with. This is the main issue. Another issue is that the best lesson out of this election, which I think is very positive, is that campaigns based on individuals and charisma and media will never succeed. I'm talking about two examples specifically, Mark Dow's list, Madaniya and Shufan Alay, oh. which was a list op- opposite to Kulluna Watani. It only got 3,000 votes, which is less than one-fourth of the Hassan Intikhabi, of the threshold. And in Beirut second, Brahim Naimni's Kulluna Beirut list also got very, very few votes relative to how much um, we expected it to have or we had hoped to have. It only got 6,000 votes, very far from the threshold. What I'm saying is the only two campaigns that achieved are Shufan Alay, we got 10,000 votes, very close to the threshold. 10,000 votes is a big number and maybe more if uh, there's been some cheating. And Beirut won where there was the Libaladi campaign with quite some important grassroots representation, especially when they allied with Ziad Abbas, who has very good grassroots connections. I think this is the most important lesson forward. We need grassroots organizing and then we run for elections and not the opposite. So I'm I, I'm hearing that you need to become more like the political class in order to beat the political class. Is that not at the... all. We need to be present on the ground. That's all I'm saying. We need to be there organizing. You're, you present. need to be organized. Like yes. the big takeaway from the election also applies to you is, exactly. is what you're saying. OK, exactly. organization, organization, organization. <laughs> all right. So. With the elections now behind us, or largely behind us, depending on what happens with recounts and whatnot, the next thing that happens is cabinet formation. I, I'm i of two minds about this, right? So I've heard the theory that it's going to take a long time, which I sort of agree with. Like the, If you're a party in Lebanon right now, you are, you are negotiating, you're going into cabinet negotiations with potentially the next four years on the table. Right. And so you need to secure everything that you possibly can. You need to play hardball. You're not giving anything away here. You're not going to make any easy concessions. And that means it's going to take a while. So what it, in, in the context of uh, government formation in Lebanon, uh, the, la- the last government that was formed, it only took a month and a half. And this was considered lightning speed yeah. by, by Lebanese standards. Right. Uh, but the reason that it went so fast is because it was formed with the express purpose of just like organizing elections, being around, it was supposed to only be around for a few months, uh, organize those elections and then be done and it ended up being around for a year and a half or something, right? But 
But that was the only reason. It was based on a very uh, comprehensive political solution as well. Like the main political forces were in agreement. That's why it went right. well. We know what's going to happen and there's not much at stake here anyway. We just need to get to an election and then... Exactly. Uh, that was the situation back then. Right. But if you look at like back before that, for the for the two governments that were formed before that, uh, or, or sorry, for the government that was formed before that, uh, the government of Taman Salem, he took, uh, you know, uh, more than 10 months to form a government. Uh, before that, both uh, Najim Ati's government and Hariri's first government, they took a, somewhere, you know, three, four months, that sort of that sort of time frame. I feel like that sort of like four months, that sounds about right to me uh, for, for the amount of time that it'll take to do negotiations. But I mean, it's important also to explain yeah. how and why it takes long. Um, the main issue here is that Hariri is expected to be the next prime minister, but Hariri has quite low representation in parliament now that he cannot dictate how many ministers he has or his allies has and who gets the best ministries. Because in Lebanon, we have what we call the sovereign ministries, which are the main ministries with a lot of jurisdiction, a lot of resources. And the political parties who have a lot of representation in parliament get these ministries. So right, right. We, there's, there, there's, there's like four sovereign or five sovereign ministries, I forget. Uh, and, and then there are like, there's also like a couple of really important other ministries, like exactly. the, the, the energy ministry, uh, that these are the prizes. And anything other than that is like, it's still good. You're a minister, but it, uh, the, these, are, these are the prizes that exactly. all the parties want. So what's expected now to happen is that Hariri has to form the cabinet with a lot of conditions from the opponent camp, from Hezbollah and Amal and FPM. To the extent that he will probably win the prime minister's seat and lose everything else or most of what he want, would, would have wanted to have. And therefore, he would be in a really bad situation anyway because he has less and less influence over how things happen. I think the other thing is, maybe you'd like to talk about it, is the Syria issue. Like, because this cabinet will have a role in how Lebanon deals with this situation in yeah, Syria, yeah. especially post-war. Ab- absolutely. Uh, so, like, just to back up a little bit. So one of the reasons that it might not take, cabinet formation might not take too long is that we sort of know some of the broad outlines, right? So we know that Hariri is sort of expected to be the next prime minister. And then there have been signals that uh, the other side would accept uh, Hariri as the next prime minister, that Berri would be uh, continuous, continue on as uh, speaker of the parliament. Um, and and so there there seems to be this obvious deal in place where if everybody agrees to it, what will happen is there will be a cabinet formation. Hariri will be the prime minister, but it's it's going to be uh, a cabinet that looks towards post-war Syria, that looks to repair relationships with uh, uh, the government in Damascus, that looks to uh, potentially cash in on some reconstruction that looks to maybe cooperate in certain fields like electricity, where the Syrians could help uh, Lebanon's uh, uh, dearth of electricity, uh, our problem. They they could help solve that uh, quite easily. And so in the negotiations for cabinet formation, I think everybody is looking towards, uh, looking east. Everybody is going to be saying, okay, well, Hariri, you want to be prime minister, but you need to be willing to go to Damascus and meet with Bashar al-Assad. And if he accepts that, uh, then, you know, we, we could see a very different uh, a, a very different political landscape than what we have now. Okay, so 
I think all of this tells us that we're really just moving into a period like it. It's not done. Things are not over yet. It, the elections are done, but we're just entering a new period of complex politics. Very complex indeed. And so we are we're going to be we're going to be back to cover this. We're, we're taking next week off. So no, no episode on Monday because we all just need to sleep, honestly. <laughs> uh, but then we're going to be back on the on the 21st with a new episode covering all of this stuff. And please join us for that. We are on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. And we would love to have your feedback. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. Tweet us at LebPoliticsPod and let us know what you think. I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red. Produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson and the music is by Omar El-Fil.